0: So Arbinger, actually, the books came after the consulting. The theory was started by a guy named Terry Warner. And then he had sort of a a group of students who were curious in the 1970s, actually, about this idea of self-deception, which is the idea that, A, I don't know that I have a problem. And then if you tell me I have a problem, I'm going to find all kinds of justifications for why I don't have that problem. So Terry Warner's background is in philosophy. He's a philosophy professor, And so that has been sort of an ages old question in philosophy. And they were coming at it from that angle, from sort of the philosophical human psychology angle. And what they honed in on, they actually found an answer to this paradoxical problem of self-deception, and they called it self-betrayal. It's the idea that every person, I don't know if you're familiar with Martin Buber, he wrote about I vow versus I it. So he had this idea that Humans can't define themselves as a singular entity. We exist always in relation to others. And we identify ourselves and define ourselves based on those relationships. And so what Boomer said was there are two ways to be in relationship with another being. You can be seeing them as an it or you can be seeing them as a thou. And that sort of fundamentally frames how we see both them and us. And so Terry Warner built on that and said, in every single moment, we have this choice of, am I going to be in relationship with this person as an I-it relationship or as an I-thou relationship? And just as human beings, we have a fundamental sense of what might be helpful for other people, right? What, What might be good for them, what I could do for them. And so in moment to moment, we have these senses for how we could be in relationship with others or what we could do for another person like and it could be as simple as oh you know what i should probably like my husband maybe appreciated if i took out the garbage like that kind of thing right or it could be you know more i don't know
1: bigger things bigger picture than
0: that right but in any moment we have this choice then to honor that sense and be in relationship with this person as an i thou or to betray that sense and as soon as we do that, as soon as we betray that sense, we, we do two things. We see the other person as an it, as an object rather than as a person. And we create for ourselves the need to justify that choice. And so all of a sudden we start creating justifications like, well, you know, I took out the garbage yesterday. It's his turn. Or, well, he's lazy. He should do it himself. Or, you know, the garbage doesn't really need to be taken out right now. You know, just think of the zillions of justifications that goes through your mind as soon as you make that choice, right? Mm. And it's not just justifications. It's the way that you start to see the other person. So anyway, this is a very long way of saying that Terry and his students realized this, came up with this idea of self-betrayal, and so they, he was working on that. Oh. And then from there, of course, you know, it sort of developed into a consulting and training business. The Some of Terry's students who were more, I mean, Terry really is a thinker. So some of his students who were more business-oriented decided to keep the company going, keep it as a consulting and training firm. And so it's existed since 1979, and the first book didn't come out until 2000. So it's interesting that we actually, we're much better known for our books because that's sort of, you know, it spreads more easily, right? Um, Mm. But actually the company has been around much longer than the books.
1: Okay, cool. So you thought of that as more of a marketing... Way, and I guess like an education piece for the people that you work with, and
0: yeah, precisely.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, it's a good introduction, thank you very much. <laughs> Let's sort of see how it all came to be. Yeah, it was really fascinating because uh, the way you're describing it, I can definitely relate to um a time when I was traveling. Just to sort of talk about something we already spoke about, is I was traveling with my friend, and like one day we got really mad at each other, and we mm-hmm. just had like these things that we've been storing where we'd both done like little things, but then like. At the point we we just spent the whole day just being annoyed and like getting more annoyed at each other. We didn't really know why. And then we both like, oh, I had to explode. And we both had like a million different things that we hadn't even realized the other person had thought about. And I was like, Oh, you didn't do this and this time I did this for you. And he had no idea about it. But he had like loads of things just like that for me. And I was like,
0: yeah.
1: Oh, I had no idea you'd even done that or whatever. And we're like, Oh, sorry, mate. Um, thanks for being so nice and doing this thing. I'd not <laughs> noticed. Um Yeah, maybe we should just talk about these things a bit more often and (laughs) not be guys about them.
0: That's exactly right. Because, you know, people only know their own experience until they actually open up and get curious, right? So that's one of the the way that Arbinger talks about this self-betrayal and the language that we use now is having an inward mindset and having an outward mindset. And so having an inward mindset is being self-focused on my goals my needs my challenges my objectives what's going on for me right so you and your friend were both thinking about i did all of this and i was yeah, hurt i
1: put that to the table and
0: <laughs> yeah and and it's so easy when we're in that and when we're inward mindset to not see all of the things that are going on for anyone else and not see right I'm, because what you just said right you didn't notice how you had affected him and he didn't notice how he had affected you. So you were blind to your impact on the other
1: yeah, person, yeah, and right? It gave that person more justification to like do something else more. Cause like, oh, this wasn't going to say, I don't need to do this other thing. And it just makes it worse. And
0: that's exactly right. And so yeah. the way Arbinger talks about it is that's an inward mindset. An outward mindset is when we understand our impact or alive to our impact on others. And account for their needs and challenges and objectives. So it sounds like actually, at the end of the day, you and your friend realize this and live alive to each other, right? You had kind of a mindset shift.
1: Mm. Yeah, definitely, it was quite a useful like (laughs) argument to have, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. in that sense. But what would you say about where you maybe fall short? Because as a concept, it's really good. But then, how would you, other than telling people about the mindset issue, what about the fact of like? the vulnerability and like the empowering people to share better what it is that they think is wrong in within a relationship and making, it's not just like outward mindset. It's also talking to people about it and getting the other person to realize what they're doing or being vulnerable and saying, Hey, I did this for you. How can you do something for me or something like it's more than just one quality.
0: So that's really interesting. Here's the thing. I'll give you a personal example of this too. The really funny thing is that when we really do genuinely shift to an outward mindset, all of a sudden, the need that we had for the other person to do something for us doesn't seem as important. But before we have that shift, that seems like this is the only answer to my problem. You have to. You you've got to do this for me. I'm gonna break if you don't. Right. Mm. Um, And as soon as we have that shift because we're seeing things from their perspective too right because we're we're also seeing their needs and challenges and objectives our need is put in context right it's put in the real context as opposed to the context that it was in before where i was only seeing my stuff and i can't really explain it other than i've had this personal this happens to yeah. me yeah
1: yeah i would definitely agree as in literally with the example that i've already given you is mm-hmm. like with my friends and before we were kind of like we'd count they like oh he bought me this meal and then like we'd like track it and like this thing yeah. and then like oh why wasn't this on the expense thing or whatever and then afterwards it was more of a i felt like it was more like as long as i bought him something today like i'll feel happy and like i wouldn't even notice whether or not like i bought him two things or three things it was more of a okay can i be really nice first and like we both sort of approached that mindset right. and suddenly. I didn't even have to think about whether he'd bought me anything back or like if he'd done something that kind of we just both had this mindset of being nice to each other first yeah. and like it just nothing suddenly was a problem anymore and we weren't even thinking about it
0: exactly and so you say this word nice we've actually recently been thinking about this idea of well so is the outward mindset just being nice to people is it is it just the golden rule like treat others as I would want to be treated and we feel like No, it's more than that. It's treating others as they would want to be treated and understanding that sometimes having an outward mindset and seeing the other person as a person is, and this is maybe getting back to your earlier question about saying like, hey, this is what I need. Sometimes outward mindset really is having the strength to have that difficult conversation. So there are two ways that we can have an inward mindset we can see we or have an i it relationship right we can hmm. see ourselves as being better than the other person and them being an object or we can actually see ourselves as being worse than the other person yeah. and this is actually coming from this place and then having an outward mindset from the worse than place is sometimes more difficult because it means having like a real confidence that you didn't used to feel in telling someone how what they're doing is impacting you. And that can feel really, really scary if you have been conceptualizing yourself as being worse than. So that's something that we've been thinking about a lot because I think Arbinger's, you asked about the weakness of Arbinger's uh, thought. I actually think it's a really, really strong philosophical system. But if it does have a weakness, I would say it is much more intuitive to understand from the better than place than from the worst than place. It's much easier to say. So one of the phrases that we use is see people as people who matter like I do. See people as people who matter like I matter. Nice. And that's equally true whether you are seeing them as less than you or seeing them as more than you. But it's more intuitive to say, if I matter this much, then I need to see other people as people who matter this much it's it's harder to say other people matter and therefore so do I yeah that's uh I think that people struggle well no I don't want to say that I struggle with that
1: yeah yeah <laughs> I struggle oh, too I, I <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> so,
0: but I wanted also to loop back I told you I would tell you a personal story so my husband and I for years and years disagreed about whether we were gonna have kids and I actually broke up with him about over this and we got back together. But then for years it was this like unspoken tension about, are we going to have kids? Mm-hmm. Are we not going to have kids? And, and I just held this need of like, this is, this is my life. This is important to me becoming a mother. It's like, it's a, it's a rite of passage. And I just felt this incredible urgency and need for him to say, yes, we're going to have kids or Yeah. You know, like let's have kids. And at some point I was like, Hey, I'm 30. Yeah. Uh, like the clock is starting to tick. And then I was more than 30 and then I was really more than 30. And like, so I was, I was just holding all of this angst in myself about it. And he just sort of didn't ever say anything, didn't ever say anything and I didn't bring it up. And it was only when I really truly took some time and thought about it from his perspective and thought about what he would be giving up in terms of it, what he might be scared about. What really were his concerns about? And so, you know, he was worried about losing the life that he had before. He was scared that he might not be a good father. What I really realized was he was, he doesn't really like kids. So he was worried that he wouldn't love his child. Like there were some like real things that he had going on that I was not alive to, And it was only when i took the time and really tried to understand that really got curious about where he was coming from and i didn't do this i didn't actually talk to him about this at all i was just it was a total shift inside me right Mm. um that like a week later i'm not kidding a week after that he um sat me down uh he was like hey you want to have a glass of wine i was like okay and this was like, this was a little abnormal. So I was like, there's some kind of serious conversation coming up. And he goes, so about the kids thing, do you want to have kids next year? Is that like good timing for you? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, like, sure. That'd be great. Like, but I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it because the whole time he had been sensing my need and he had been responding to that and resisting it. Yeah. And then as soon as I allowed myself to shift, that invited him to shift and allowed him to be okay with it,
1: definitely. It's kind of defending against it almost, but then suddenly gives them space. Yeah. Wow. Deep story. I like it. Thanks. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So, what would you say are like the other weak points of like an outward mindset then? Listen, what else would you need to be aware of if you are using an outward mindset that you might miss out on?
0: I actually came to Arbinger from a competitor company Hmm. that also does mindset change and and culture transformation in organizations. That company used, um, there's a consulting company called McKinsey. Yeah. So they were sort of a McKinsey spin off and used a lot of McKinsey's thinking about organizational transformation. And I was shocked when I came to Arbinger at how simple. Really, the insights were it really like our mindset is one, maybe two fundamental concepts. And at first, I was a little skeptical because I was like, This seems too simplistic, this seems too easy, too like you know, this is for it's like watered down kids' philosophy or something. Yeah, so I've been here now two years. I have been amazed at how powerful those two concepts are in helping people really truly shift in a sustainable way not just as people but as organizations and i actually think then that that the simplicity of the material is what helps because people then are able to read an entire book or to go through a two-day training experience and come away with things that they actually remember so mm. one of the, one of the problems in just the training industry in general, right. Is that people pack so much material into a couple of days that you're like, you come out of the training thinking like, wow, that was great. What a great experience. And then,
1: yeah. Be like one or two things. Or exactly. It's like a whole project. Like that's going to be next month to start implementing it all. And then it never happens. And <laughs> it's a Nightmare.
0: That's exactly right. Right. And like, I mean, there are studies that, that say up to eighty-five percent of training is never used on the job. And I think it's because of just information overload during that training. The the training provider is trying to provide is trying to like give you the whole kitchen sink and it's just too much. So I, I actually think that one of Arbinger's most powerful things about it is the the simplicity of the core concept. And I've actually found in my personal life and then my personal ability to do my own job, right? My work environment that I've had an easier time developing and improving and being better at my job when I'm thinking about things the way that Arvinder frames them, as opposed to the way my previous company did.
1: Yeah, definitely, it does make sense because I do think having less things to think about is really useful to just go and do them. And then if you use like the concept of like how you do anything is how you do everything, so if you've got like one simple thing that is like a really good meta rule. But it's something that you can kind of apply to everything. It does start to make effects everywhere quite easily rather than having like a rule for every different scenario. It becomes like really hard and maybe the rule isn't quite right and you just start going in the wrong directions or you just can't follow them all. It becomes a nightmare.
0: Yeah, exactly. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. And if you start trying to sort of make two specific things for different situations, it's not always appropriate as well. So when people start making like these targets that sound really good, you can end up causing the wrong things to happen so like like the NHS had the target where they wanted all patients to be seen within four hours of walking in kind of thing but then it led to ambulances waiting and not actually letting the people out the ambulance until they were sure the person would get seen within four hours and like other sort of they'd start like employees would like shift to sort of match the target and not actually do like think how to do behave properly for the business which is why they made the target and when you start having like too many little different micro rules, it actually doesn't help. If you have like one like meta sort of philosophy, yeah, it's all like much better and kind I of think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. I'm
1: going to write that down. <laughs> it was good. I literally heard it just earlier. I was reading a book. I was like, oh, yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll um, see if I can find some more examples like that. <laughs> like, yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah.
1: So it seems very related to, I don't know how much meditation you've done, but I did um, in the course, like 10 days of sort of, silent meditation it's all about kind of like the loss of ego and like ego disillusionment and it's very similar principles like when you start sort of losing okay what does sam want right now And start thinking a bit more okay like what's going on in general and like how can you just be useful to everyone and not being so concerned about your own problems and thinking like more like meta about the world and suddenly it's like it's much easier to sort of just go straight to what is a problem? we just find like the nice solution and not get angry about things. And do you ever try and do any mindfulness stuff in it?
0: So interestingly, it's not a direct part of Arbinger's business, but I totally agree with you that there's like fundamental underlying wisdom in the world that different people have drawn at in different ways. And so I totally agree with you that it's related and can be helpful. So, so meditation is not a part of what Arbinger Practices or trains on, but I personally am a huge believer in in the help in the value of it. And like you know, we've had clients from you know who who are of like Islamic faith who said, "Oh, this is the Quran." And we've had you know some of our clients in Japan who are like, "Oh, this is really similar to Buddhism." And you know, so it's really easy to draw similarities and connections.
1: Yeah, does it seem very? overall like mindful though as a concept is in like you're kind of just aware of yourself and how you're behaving in the moment, which is the other part of meditation is in it's not just teaching yourself what to think, it's teaching you like how to practice it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which is where i then go and say, okay, so you Arbinger, tell people what they're doing wrong and things, but how do you then equip them to have the right conversations more mm-hmm. beyond just like telling them that they're doing it? Because with the meditation and it took me 10 days of not only thinking about these things, but also sitting still, which gets insanely painful when you sit still for an hour and you don't move a single muscle, but like it kind of goes into the core of you. Like if you can control your body and you kind of start becoming aware of these things Mm -hmm. and like you can like ignore them and stuff. And so you sort of start being more in the moment. And when like you're in the moment and someone's annoying you, you go, ah, I'm being annoyed. Sam doesn't need to get annoyed right now. He can think of a reason why he shouldn't be annoyed. And you can like think of it in the moment and then like not get annoyed rather than like jumping straight at it. Yeah. But it takes like serious sort of (laughs) 10 days of beating yourself up to get there. So I don't know how like you can just do that quickly in like a course to like get people to be ultra aware kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So have you ever seen this YouTube guy who does, it's part of a series, but he does a series on, on riding a backwards bicycle.
1: Uh, no. <laughs>
0: Google it when you get a chance. So I forget his name, but he he's sort of a science-y type guy. And so he has a YouTube channel where he does all kinds of experiments. And one of the experiments that he did was he learned how his friends, like, pranked him. And what they did, they made a bicycle where they re-engineered, like, the mechanism on the front wheel that turns the wheel so that when oh, you...
1: it goes the other way.
0: Yeah, exactly. So when you turn the handlebar right, the wheel goes left. And when you turn the handlebar left, the wheel goes right.
1: Yeah.
0: So he's got this hilarious video of him like falling and falling and trying to ride this bike. He can't, he could not ride the bike. Nobody can. Like he's like now taking this around the world and challenges people to ride the bike and like nobody can do it on the first try. And he practiced then for five minutes a day and it took him eight months practicing just five minutes a day. But then he learned to ride the bicycle, right? Yeah. It clicked, and it then he was he could able never to ride, the ride a
1: normal bike again. Or
0: <laughs> that's true. Actually, he had trouble then when he tried to get on a normal bicycle. It took him a minute. It took him like fifteen minutes to be able to ride the, the normal bike again. The point being, though, that yes, you're totally right. One training experience is not going to shift anything in a sustainable way. It takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. And so, yeah, Arbiter as a business has. Well, so let me explain the concept first and then I'll explain some of the business around how we support that concept and sustainability stuff like that. So the concept, as you said, self-awareness is step one. So we have this framework tool that we use called the the Outward Mindset Pattern and it's three steps, well, three parts. So the first part is see others, which is really self-awareness. So you see others as people and fundamentally that is, it's about being, There's an element of self-awareness there, right? You have to be aware of whether you are seeing them as people or as objects. So the first step is just, just see others as people who matter like I do. The second then is adjust efforts, which means actually change what you're doing, change the way that you're working in order to be more helpful to others. And then the third is measure impact, which is basically check in with the person to make sure that whatever you changed was actually helpful to them. Mm-hmm.
1: That's very important.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause if you don't ask and you just assume, then you might be wrong. And th- this can be really just simple changes, you know, from a coworker to coworker level, like a, a really simple example is a girl on my team. Part of her job is to make sure that whatever client inquiries we get, she picks the right, you know, solutions manager to assign them out to. Right, so it's her job to route the inquiries to the appropriate professional here at Arbiter. And she's incredible at at applying outward mindset. And so she was thinking, like, hmm, I wonder what's going on for these solutions managers. What have they got going on? What's hard for them, you know? And how might I help? So she was just sort of thinking about this generally, that was the see others piece of this pattern. right? She was just generally being curious about what was going on for them, what was their workflow like, what headaches did they have in their, the course of their day-to-day work. And one thing she found out was they all use LinkedIn to just find out more context about the people that have sent in inquiries before they reach out. right? They're just trying to do some due diligence and preparation before they have a call with whoever has asked us the question. And she said, "Oh well, I use LinkedIn. Whoever sent in the inquiry, right? I look up their company to find out which specialist I'm supposed to send this to. So it would be really easy for me just to copy the LinkedIn URL into our client database, and then it's right there. When the solutions manager gets the notification that they need to reach out to this person, they can just click on the URL, and there's a LinkedIn page for them to start doing their research, right? So that was a just efforts, right? She saw that." She could make this very simple change of just copying and pasting the URL that she was already looking at into our database. And it has been hugely helpful. Like all of the solutions managers have come to her and said, oh my gosh, Sage, that has that like that's a game changer. That makes my life so much easier. And so that's a very small example of how that pattern can be put into practice. But if you think about it, it's those kinds of changes that seem small to me that have a big impact on the other person, that that's what we want to be looking out for. And that, those small changes built up collectively over an organization of 50 people or 100 people or 1,000 people, that's what creates the difference between a failing company or a stagnant company and one that is growing and innovating and has a great culture, right? Yeah. And then I said I would, talk about some of the um, the ways that we as a company support these kinds of things. So, you know, in addition to doing, like as we've already established, like one two-day training experience is not going to help an organization sustainably change, right? Like you have to be, you have to be doing the backwards bicycle practicing. And so a lot of the consulting work that we do and coaching work that we do is geared toward helping people actually implement in their organization the things that they learn in the training right so the training sort of sparks interest brings a certain level of understanding and then the real work starts after that with like how do we actually work this into our team meeting schedule how do we you know like is there a tool that we want to just use on a regular basis is there do we want to get some coaching for certain key leaders in the organization that would then help them operate with an outward mindset and how do we keep it sort of top of mind and so all of those things are the kinds of things that we then consult on.
1: Cool. so like the whole act of following up really Yeah exactly. Yeah it's so easy. I was in I've been reading a lot like Pat Lancioni and things where he sort of he talks about like offsites and these things. And then we did a company offsite with this company that I was consulting with. Like was, I've been like a part-time contractor where I've been more just like doing the work they gave me rather than doing things, but I've always been trying to like implement other things management wise. And so we we did this thing and it was great, but then the company was just sort of like, uh, after two days, cool. Now everything's done. And we just go back to normal. It's like, Oh, what was the point? Oh God. Right.
0: <laughs> exactly. No, that's totally right. Like there's a statistic that says, if you call an offsite training that like, Anywhere between forty-five and eighty-five percent of training is never applied on the job, and it's because of that, right? You know, it's like, oh, great, one and done. Okay, I'm gonna go back to the way you know,
1: yeah, yeah, it's the way I've
0: always done things.
1: You've thinking and things. It's like ah, nightmare.
0: Yeah, actually, that was the other big difference between the company that I worked for previously is they had McKinsey has a very structured model of organizational change, and generally mckinsey can get results because they're mckinsey and you know they sort of if a company is going to invest in mckinsey then like the company means business they're going to make some serious changes i think if a company isn't that invested in change then that sort of that, such a big model with so many things to do and so many people to get involved doesn't work you get you just hit too much resistance and so the sort of little snippets and what can i do differently in my day-to-day work that doesn't actually take me any more time it just requires me to think of things differently i think is a, is a lot more effective
1: interesting yeah so what would you say about this in on that theme of do you think there are many companies that sort of try and go for like the smallest package that you offer and sort of like a ah uh, quick like one solution will fix everything or do you kind of not sell that as an option and say, like, okay, sure, we can come to a, a conference, but you actually have to have some form of follow up procedure?
0: So we've actually recently moved to a strong recommendation of a program rather than just a one off training. But no, we're not. I mean, so our general philosophy is that even the littlest understanding of our mindset, the littlest awareness mm. is going to be good for the world, right? Like, as a company, our mission is to turn the world outward. And part of the reason that, um, Actually, as a company, we've grown significantly in the last five years. We went for it was a I mean, it's been a company since 1979, but it went from being like a company of six to ten people to a company now of 50 people Mm. in the last six years. And the reason is that they, the managing partners and the owners, decided, hey, you know what? How can we really help the world? We really believe that we have this message that is super super helpful to people and we've seen the transformative power of our mindset and so what they said is well then we need to help as many people in the world as possible just learn about it so that's part of the reason that we still are publishing books that's part of the reason that we do offer you know whatever trading people want to buy it's yeah even that little bit helps you know that said you know we still believe that that it requires structured practice mm. if you actually want to transform it like you said about meditate right the meditation you had to practice like there's certain amount of regular practice that you need
1: mm. yeah for the for past and the technique that i learned they like you can go back on like courses for like two or three days but they say the first time you do it you have to do it for 10 days because you kind of if you only do it for like three days the first time, you just annoy yourself, or you just sit there like bouncing around your mind, be like, fuck, I'm so weird. Why can't I like sit still? What's wrong with me? And then that, that's about your own experience. You have to do the whole thing. And
0: right.
1: yeah, sort of working out what is like the minimum effective dose to start off with. Also, I do think if you could just sit some down even for 10 minutes the first time and just sort of can point them in the right direction, perhaps it is really useful. Yeah. and yeah, It's fascinating. So you say your mission is to educate the whole world. Do you invest anything into scientific research and stuff? Because if there is some really cool like psychology behind these principles and stuff still going on, do you actively get involved in that? Or do you like talk to any of the researchers doing studies?
0: Yeah, so we're building out a research function because you're right. There's so much, especially there's so much going on like in neuroscience these days mm. that seems related. And wouldn't it be awesome to like find those connections between philosophy and neuroscience?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And so we're starting to build out some of that research. The, the research that we're doing mostly is sort of long, longitudinal studies with client organizations, just because that's what we have access to. The most. But then we also a, a lady who's doing research for a book. So she is doing like a serious literature review of, you know, recent management science and neuro, neurobiology and, and that kind of thing to see what kinds of, of connections there are. So, and she's writing a book about it. So I am, we are super excited for that book to come out, but it's not, she's just now still in the research phase, you know, in the literature review phase.
1: But yeah. I'd be interested to talk to her.
0: Her name is Kimberly White. I'd be happy to put you in contact.
1: Thank you. So when it comes to mindsets, I've got two questions that I have. Haven't asked, but I'm not sure if there'll be appropriate you said you haven't done so much scientific studying of it, but like has there been any scientific study of this type of mindset? And if so, what was the most interesting study that you have?
0: So there haven't been any, any scientific studies of inward-outward mindset that I'm aware of. The one study that the sort of longitudinal study of of a client organization that we did do was really interesting actually so it was a is a military hospital in the u.s and they put about 1400 people through the hour mindset training and then they were doing it, which was part of a whole our mindset implementation program that they were doing and so and the question was does our mindset actually work like does it improve business results and does the training work are we actually shifting people's mindsets? And it was, it was fascinating because it did, it did like, it actually worked. And so we were all really excited about that because it was the first longitudinal, like sort of st- statistically analyzed study that we had done. And it really did come back with, you know, P value less than f- 0.05, you know, my, of mindset shifts. And they were, they were measuring not just did they shift from an inward mindset to an outward mindset, but how was it relevant to like, Uh, perception of leader support, satisfaction with the information that I get from management, satisfaction with my involvement in decisions that affect my work, like commitment to the organization. So there were a number of employee satisfaction measures as well as like commitment to the organization measures that went up as a result of the training or as a result of not just the training, but as a result of the outward mindset transformation program that they were going through. So that's the like the sort of newest, most exciting study that we have right now. So one of the things that we're interested in is inward styles. So I mentioned that there, you know, you can be in an inward mindset from a better than place or from a worse than place. We actually have, there are actually four different ways that you can have be in an inward mindset. You can be in a better than box. We call it being in the box. The first book that Arbinger wrote was called Leadership and Self Deception, getting out of the box. And the reason that we talk about it as being a box is that when you are self focused, that self focus puts blinders on you, right? It keeps you like if you've got, as if you've got like a cardboard box over your head and you're only seeing your own stuff, right? So there are four box styles, right? You can be better than. A better than box will slide into an I deserve box, right? So I'm better than, than you or I'm better than others, therefore I deserve these things. And a worse than box often shifts into a need to be seen as box. So I'm not good enough, but I need to make it look like I am. So you do all kinds of you know subversive things to make people think that you are better than you think you, you are, right? Yeah. It's a need, keeping up of appearances thing, right? So we recently designed a study, it's in beta testing right now, to map people's inward styles. So it's gonna be a survey that helps people understand when I do have an inward mindset, well, first of all, how often do I have an inward mindset versus an outward mindset? And then also when I do have an inward mindset, which way do I tend and in which situations? Because, you know, often we will tend one way at work and another way at home, or we'll tend one way toward our boss and another way toward our peers or our coworkers, right? And so that's the current assessment that we're working on that's in beta mode
1: okay cool yeah that's really fascinating because it is quite interesting i think there are some i've certainly had a lot of cases of people who are very one type of sort of personality at work and then like the complete opposite at home where they kind of like the sub like the non-dominant person in the relationship because they spend all day being dominant or like they like they're quite introvert at home because they spend all day being outrovert kind of thing and it's quite fascinating
0: exactly
1: was yeah it's interesting also to hear how you've studied that because they actually sound quite good because i as a scientist, I would love to see, like, placebo version, like the null hypothesis of, like, okay, we go and give two-day training where we don't actually teach them anything, and see, like, if there was a placebo effect of, like, oh, yeah, we spent two days talking about stuff, and now we're going to do things, and that would still change your business or not, because that's never been done as a study. It would be quite interesting.
0: Yeah, that's true. The closest we came was in that military hospital. We, we did do a survey, you know, it was, like, a control group that got training much later so they did get trained eventually but not for quite a long time yeah yeah. and so it was interesting because they were the control group but their managers had gone through the training so Mm -hmm. we saw over time that the untrained employees they were experiencing increases in satisfaction and commitment and that kind of thing because their managers had gone through the training but yeah you're totally right it would be really really interesting to do a a placebo. We're not going to do it. I mean, we're for yeah. A you
1: can't <laughs> a charge of people money. You could do like twenty sort of pieces of training for free, where ten of them were like sham pieces of training. I guess <laughs> if you had the resources, <laughs> it could be fun, right? But yeah, might be difficult. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. If you ever do want to do it, I would definitely have to get involved somehow.
0: I'll keep that in mind.
1: Cool. Then what about? Like, um, have you read much of Patrick Lancioni where like, he he's got a lot of fables that do sort of all link into similar kind of philosophies and stuff yeah. like silos.
0: I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, he's like, you hear his name all the time and, yeah. but I've never actually read any of his stuff.
1: Ah, uh, his books are all really short. So that's helpful. And, okay. um, I don't know if you use audible listening to books, but if you use Scribd, you only mm-hmm. need to use it for like a month. They've got like nearly all of his books. But instead of Audible, where they give you like one book a month for free, Scribd listens to unlimited books. And so for like your $8, because of his books are only like two hours each, you can listen to literally all like 10 of his books in like one month. And <laughs> for like $8, so you're like blast through them and then like cancel your subscription. And uh, <laughs> and so top tip for you there. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: a recommendation um,
1: thing. No problem. But, yeah, he's got a lot of um, parables and stuff that, they all kind of have similar things around like communicating and like self-deception and lying to yourself or, or the kinds of things that are all useful people to get into. And like, well, it's a good one about silos that's sort of about, yeah. So a lot of the things around self-deception and people like blaming others for the problems and being in their own world of like, okay, I'm doing this right. And so marketing is only thinking about the marketing department and like people, but actually they're not thinking about, okay, well, these other people need to like trying to contribute to the business as well. Maybe I don't need to think about my own budget and I could think about the bigger objectives of the whole company and it just all gets a lot better. So yeah, I think you'd enjoy this. And then there's going to ask what other books would you recommend for people besides your own books? Obviously that they are great, but, um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I actually really am a fan of Carol Dweck's growth mindset.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's writing a new book now. So excited for that.
0: Yeah. I don't know if you've heard that one. So Difficult Conversations, Not Crucial Conversations. Difficult Conversations was written by the Harvard some guys from the Harvard Project on negotiation. Also, um, there's a book called Into the Eye of the Storm, which is by, his name is John Paul Lederach. So Into the Eye of the Storm is one of his books, but another of his books is The Moral Imagination. And so his specialty is International Conflict Resolution. He's an international peace builder. But he is just an incredible thinker about, okay, I'm this guy, this like privileged white dude from America. I'm trying to help people in terrible, terrible situations, resolve their conflicts. What does that mean for me? What kinds of attitudes do I need to have going in? What do I need to be aware of? How can I actually help? How can I help in an effective way that's going to help them own their own solutions? Just really, really fascinating stuff. So not directly applicable to business, but I think there are tons and tons of lessons to be learned from that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Like a lot of these things do compound in other areas. Like we had of Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, that's all about like Navy SEALs, but then actually it applies to sport and business as well. Or like, I don't know if you've heard of Frank Dick, but he's like the coach for like British athletics team for many years and he's coached loads of like famous people and like Formula One, tennis, and everything. But um, he did a book about winning, but it's sort of like, it's all about mindsets and it, yeah. it's completely appropriate for entrepreneurs and business as it was for athletes and coaches. And like yeah. lot of these things sort of actually transcend all kind of different walks.
0: Yeah. On that note, another book is called, I think it's called The Inner Game.
1: Yeah, I think I've heard of that.
0: And that's by a guy who was a golf coach and a tennis coach. And it's all about like, It's like, it's about self-talk, essentially.
1: Yeah, it's been on my list. Okay, cool. Then last few things. What is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you?
0: Oh, that's a really good question. Okay, so I don't, this is probably not the kindest thing anyone has ever done for me, but it loops back to something we were talking about earlier about telling people the hard things that they need to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I was in like, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade, I was in French class. Right. And I had to write a paper in French and my dad speaks French and he helped me with the paper and he helped me with some of. So I ended up like using, you know, verb conjugations that I the class hadn't learned yet. And my teacher called me out on it. She was like, why did you do this? And I said, well, my dad helped me. And she said, do you really understand what these verbs mean? Like, did he teach you really what the verbs mean or did he just help you and sort of translate it for you? And I was like, well, he just sort of helped me and translated it for you. She was like, this is not your best work. You can do more than this. You're better than this. It was basically her message, right? And obviously, so that stuck with me for years and years and years as like the really hard lesson that I needed to learn at that point about what education really is, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. just about getting the grade or, you know, doing well in that moment. It's it's about what are you actually setting yourself up to be able to do? So I don't know, that's maybe not the best example, but the reason I was thinking about it was because earlier we were talking about the if you're coming from a worse than place, sometimes saying those things is really hard, especially like if you're a boss and you have a need to be seen as a nice boss or a good boss or like someone who's supportive of your people, then it can be really hard to deliver that message to an employee who's not performing well, right? Or to fire someone, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't, right, you're hurting the whole organization. You're enabling an employee that needs help, right? And you're not helping them because you, you want them to think you're nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: And so now as a manager of people, that's something that kind of comes back to me on a regular basis is that I'm doing a disservice to my employees. If I'm not in the spirit of helping them grow and helping the organization be its best – I need to let them know if there's a problem.
1: Yeah, and sometimes they might get a bit annoyed at you or something. But if you think about every single moment that you have these chances to like change someone's life instead of, okay, why would you not like risk the chance of them being a bit annoyed at you and taking criticism wrongly to actually develop them as a person? Yeah, it's right, cool. Exactly. I like this example. Thanks. <laughs> then uh, another deep, slightly odd question. What's your most vivid memory from childhood?
0: Oh. Uh, well, a couple of them are more embarrassing than I'm prepared to tell. So, okay. The one that's not as embarrassing that just popped into mind. In like first grade, I got into a fight with a kid and like kicked him or something, something really bad. Mm. And I remember my teacher pulling us aside and giving me a like a real talking to about about that. That's not how we treat other people.
1: Yeah, sounds like a useful <laughs> lesson <laughs> to learn. you think you Want to get back and apologize now, like many years later, like oh, I'm sorry,
0: bro. <laughs> I could actually. I I think I'm still Facebook friends with him, actually. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, cool. I'm well, glad to hear you resolved it all. Oof. Yeah. Okay. Then, is there anything else that we haven't spoken about that people should know?
0: Well, I mean, I think there's a ton. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, just sort of reflecting back on the arc of this. Conversation. I feel like I haven't given many organizational examples, or I feel like most of my examples have been kind of from my personal experience. True. So let me think of an organizational example that might be helpful to people. So one is this was a, a client of ours a long time ago. Her name was Louise Francisconi, and she was the head of a like a legacy Howard Hughes company. So their industry is sort of missile defense type stuff, right? And so she was the head of this major division that had just been bought by Raytheon, I think. And the whole industry was in a place of consolidation, right? So the companies were sort of acquiring each other. So her company was being acquired and the directive came down, you guys need to cut a hundred million dollars from your business. You have to cut a hundred million dollars from the cost side of your business in 30 days. Or like you know, your jobs are on the line. So they got this directive and they were kind of like, well, what, what are we going to do? So she asked from her division directors for proposals for ways that they could cut costs. And they all kind of came back with essentially turf protecting answers, right? They were like, well, I could do this marginal thing, but my business is essential. Like my part of the business is absolutely essential. We can't cut anything was really what they were all arguing for. And so what they realized is that if that was the answer that all the division directors came up with then the only choice that they were left with was they were going to have to lay off hundred thousand dollars worth of people indiscriminately right they were just going to have to like say we're cutting this much percent of the business and that everyone was really upset about that but interestingly they were upset about it mostly the division directors, particularly and that leadership group, when they went into this, they were upset because they were like, well, that guy can totally cut his costs. Why aren't they stepping up? Like my part of the business is essential, but I see all of this room that they can cut, right? Why aren't they stepping up and doing it? And of course, everyone thought the same thing, right? Yeah. So Arbinger started working with them and they sat down and the task was just to spend a couple of hours getting to know they paired up, right? So everyone paired up with one other person and the task was just to get to know the other person's business and to help them figure out how they could save the key parts of their business, right? So to identify the key parts of their business and help figure out how to save those. So they did that. They spent a couple of hours getting to know the other person's business and thinking around how could they help them save their business. And that perspective shift and that getting to know the other person, getting to know the other person's business, it changed things in the room. And all of a sudden, people started coming up with, hey, you know, actually, so that you can save your, this piece that I now understand why it's important, I can cut this, or I can do this differently. To the point that one division director actually said, you know what, my entire division, it would make more sense if I rolled it up into my colleague's division. And so instead of reporting to Louise, I will now report to this person who is currently my colleague. And that one change was like a $7 million savings. And so they found all of these other different kinds of of savings just because they were thinking not of themselves anymore, but of the other person and in the context of the whole business, right? And so they did, they cut the $100 million in 30 days without having to lay off anyone. Wow. And it was all because of this mindset shift that we actually weren't talking about it as a mindset shift at the time but it was a mindset shift that they went through so that's one organizational people
1: thanks yeah cool glad i asked that question and yeah i guess that's it yeah thanks a lot for the conversation
0: yeah thank you
1: well i hope you enjoyed that conversation with heather adams as much as i did she was a really fascinating lady and it was a really fascinating concept to break into the whole inward and outward mindset as part of a wrap-up I tried to find the podcast I mentioned with the concepts of like bad business goals and the example that I'd given was the NHS uh, focusing on the four-hour maximum wait time for a patient leading to um, the employees like gaming the system and holding patients in ambulances until they'd be seen in four hours Um, instead of documenting people as they walk in it's just yeah (laughs) it's just like a really silly thing that um is like a bad thing but then like and remember another example which is there was a company that started measuring cashier performances at checkout by how many items they could scan a minute but then like sometimes employees would have the issue where they couldn't scan an item and so instead of like trying to fix it and like actually type it in or something and get it paid for they just could have like would just throw the item in the cart quickly so that they could just scan the next item and (laughs) so they wouldn't lose more time on their like items per minute scanning. And so yeah, this is lots of silly things that, if you have the wrong priorities, can end up screwing up your business thing. Uh, but sadly, I did not find the actual podcast, <laughs> and so um, I can give you that insight as well, but that, that's about it. I'm sorry. I tried. Anyway, I think it was Planet Money or um, something like that, perhaps. But on to my next tips. Next tips. onto my top tips. <sighs> right. Number one: keep concepts simple. So there is a good quote which says it's easy to make things complicated it's hard to make things simple and the outward mindset is it's deceptively simple and it seems like it's missing things sometimes because it's so simple but it's actually a very nice way to approach almost everything and (laughs) having like a million different rules is often just confusing and not overly useful for anyone and like I mean Ray Dalio's principles book is great but it's like it's got like 120 principles can you remember all of them no and like can you remember the overall writing principle of just being like candid and honest and open with people? Yes. So like, <laughs> it seems like maybe just having like one big rule is probably often a better thing. And they've already nailed that with the outward mindset. Okay, number two, commit to follow up. It's great to do a few days training and learning of things, but to make any meaningful change in like a company or yourself, you need to like follow up and keep checking in on what you're doing. And this isn't just business change, but any change that you try to take on, if it's in your habits or if you're reading a great book, you really have to like follow up and make whatever you want to happen, happen with like a purpose. Um, yeah, so follow up. Number three, wisdom is everywhere. So the outward mindset, it just has so many principles relating to meditation and mindfulness and something that I've really found lately from like just a lot of different people and reading books on astrophysics to Fifty Shades of Grey, you can, you can really find insights anywhere. And when you start to break things down into fundamental concepts, you can see just many parallels between them, whether you want success in science, business, sport, music. There's some huge principles that you just shouldn't ignore. And the outward mindset is one of them. And principles such as kindness and karma, they all, they all really go a long way. So yes, wisdom can be found everywhere and often interrelates. And then now on to books um so firstly leadership and self-deception by the arbinger institute institute it's a good book and really breaks down the whole details of the inward and outward mindset that we spoke about so probably worth your time reading i also mentioned patrick lencioni in the podcast and he has many books um i think silos politics and turf wars is possible is probably the most relevant book but all of his books really outline, like, probably the outward mindset approach to business in some way or other, and he just he they're all quite short, like, maybe two-hour reads, nice little business fables, and they're quite nice. And I think that's it. So, yes, you can support me on Patreon. That would be lovely. I do apologize for the delay in releasing this podcast. It's been a few weeks since the last one. I had a rather large accident and broke my femur into three separate pieces, um... Femur is the big bone in your leg that no one ever breaks because it's, like, really hard to break. So I did a good job there. that. Um, I managed to not die. That was, that was quite hard also. Um, so, yeah, I was a little busy with the whole, like, not dying thing for a while. Um, but I seem to be out of that, and I now just can't walk, which sucks a bit, but it's fine. I'm alive. So that's okay. And I will probably break this down a little bit further in a future episode or two. But I'm, like, a bit busy not walking and other stuff as well, actually, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'll get around to that soon, and you can enjoy that coming up. But um, any messages of support would be lovely if you feel like it. Otherwise, uh, have a nice week, and I'll get back to you next week, probably with Oren Claff on the show, who is a bit of a sales genius, awesome, inspiring human person. Um, he's got a great book about um, sales, obviously, uh, Flip the Script, that's... Just come out, so that'll be nice for us to grow into. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stop now. Have an awesome week, people. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today I have Heather Adams from the Arbinger Institute. And they are a really cool business that do coaching around mindsets, and they have a couple of really awesome books that are worth checking out. And yeah, she was just a really fun guest to have on the show today. I'm really delighted to host this interview. We start with me asking her some questions about how the actual business works. And it sounds a little bit odd to be like diving straight into this, but it it does provide context to the rest of everything else in the interview. So I've left it in, and um, yeah, it's a good interview. I hope you enjoy it. In other news, I have a Patreon. You could support me if you are feeling generous or um, you just want to like get some more information about the show. And, get involved with things, so that'd be nice. Otherwise, yep, enjoy the conversation with Heather Adams. Hello, and welcome to the Growth Mindset podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration and exploration. Join me, your host, Sam Harris, as I discover how mindset can help you do incredible things through my conversations with the world's most interesting people, from tech billionaires to leading scientists best-selling authors to notorious hackers. The goal is to increase our collective wisdom and attitudes to make us all happier and healthier, wiser and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? You've just listened to an episode of the Growth Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating as these go a really long way. If you are unable to give good feedback right now, try sharing the show with a friend who will or just wait for the show to improve. If you have any ideas for the show or you just want to chat, then please reach out to me on Twitter at Sam Harris Tweets or Instagram at Sam Jam Snaps. Show notes and other links to topics discussed in the episodes are available at the website growthmindsetpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening Give yourself a big hug from me. If you're with a friend, give them a hug as well. And I hope you enjoy your next podcast.